Now, uh, whichever one you prayed for, uh, you might want to catch him or her in the lobby out here and just say, tell me about the weekend. So you guys may have a few conversations before you get out of here. All right. Uh, We are going to be reading from the Old Testament today in Numbers chapter 14. So I'm giving you a head start. Go ahead and find the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter, as we continue a series of thoughts along the lines of will people believe? We are, for those of you that are newer around here, in a journey through the Bible experience. We're hoping to read uh, various passages across a week, and then across a month, and then across the year. We will have read the entire Bible. And if you're interested in joining us, we really wish you would. You'll see inside your program, just below the order of service, uh, some information that tells you how to join the journey. And we are in week nine starting today. There's a reading plan on our website that you can just begin picking up at week nine and join us in the journey. Um, For those of you that have persevered through the latter part of Exodus and across Leviticus, God bless you. Uh, And only those of you that just read that know exactly what I'm talking about. It's been some tough reading. We're going to unpack a little bit of that and uh, get forward moving so that you're getting that behind you as well. But today we're talking about will we believe God and will we believe God in such a way that we'll convey that to others and to a generation that's coming up. And I want us to begin that thought with this question. Do we need God? I mean, really, really think about it for just a moment. Imagine that that lottery fantasy that you've had came to pass. Imagine that you had tens of millions of dollars after taxes at your disposal to spend. Imagine that you had it all. You got the great house. You got the great car, the clothes, the stuff. You get to take the great trips. Imagine that you've got this dynamic spouse that's great looking and everybody envies you for having. Imagine that you've got everything in the way of success and accomplishment. People think well of you. People respect you. People admire you. You've got it all. Why would you need God? If you had it all, why would you need God? See, the fact of the matter is, the only reason you and I can catch a glimpse, we don't even get the total reality, we catch a glimpse that we need God is because we have physical, tangible needs in this world. That's the only reason we catch a glimpse. And in that glimpse... God meets us there with some grace to cause us to be able to see. And, and, oh, my goodness, I need God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor. For they can have the kingdom of God. Jesus went on to say how difficult it is for people that have a lot. To come to God because they don't know that they need God. 
So here's the deal. All physical, tangible need that we have in this world is a shadow of the need that we have for God. The fact that there's some lack, there's some deprivation in your life is an indicator. It helps you get there to see, I need God. You need a loving relationship. You feel lonely. You feel disconnected. You feel like you're not understood. You're not appreciated. Nobody really cares. That's just a shadow of how you need God. You need food, shelter, clothing, shadow. You need air to breathe, shadow. The Bible says that God is the very breath of life. You see, when in the creation story, he's like moving the dust around and forming a person. What's left? He has to breathe himself in that being for life to happen. We frankly don't get it. How much, how desperately we need God. Because we have so many God substitutes, so many things that touch and address needs, it gets camouflaged. We are deceived. And that uh, comes because of sin. That all started back in Genesis 3, the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve rebel. And that sin not only separated them from God, but that sin deceived them from their need for God and passed on through all the generations until it's come to you and to me. And we're deceived. We don't get how much we need him. Out of all that, God in his goodness, God in his graciousness, and that's what a lot of these early chapters of Genesis were pointing out to us. God really does love you. And even though we're busted, even though we're broken, even though we rebelled and we've run away from God, he pursues us. I mean, how unbelievable. Every other religious kind of people in the world has some kind of deity in mind that's only fearsome, only terrible, only someone to appease, someone to keep space and distance from so that however he's feeling on a given day doesn't take it out on you. And along comes... Jehovah, Yahweh God, who begins to reveal and disclose himself, I'm not anything like that. I'm a God that loves people, that has created people for relationship with myself, who in all of their waywardness I pursue so that I can woo and draw them self. And, of course, a high watermark in that story, you've already read it, is God... Uh, established a covenant relationship with a guy by the name of Abraham and all those after him who would believe like Abraham and thereby have a relationship with God. Years pass. These believers find themselves in captivity, in slavery, in Egypt. They cry out to God. God hears their cries. He's going to deliver them from that oppression and from that slavery. And what you covered in those readings from Abraham to Moses was 600 years of history. So then we get to the time of Moses, 
And Moses goes in and tells Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, God says, let my people go through a series of acts. Egypt finally lets the people go. They miraculously cross the Red Sea. They head down to Mount Sinai where they're going to have a special encounter with God. From the Exodus, leaving Egypt, to Mount Sinai, three months. Then they are in the Mount Sinai area, and this is where you've been reading recently, getting the law, appropriating the law, practicing the law, constructing a tabernacle, a tent of meeting with God, which has incredibly specific and minute detail. Amen? If you've been reading, you're like, oh. And that whole period from the middle of uh, Exodus through all of Leviticus and the first ten chapters of Numbers is a two-year period that's covered there. Unbelievable amount of space given to a two-year period. And you have to ask yourself, why would so much space be given to a two-year period? There's something for us to get out of all that minutia, out of all that detail that we agonize through. But it was about a time of trying to shape the life of a people so they would believe when they came into a land of promise. What's going to happen when you come into a land of promise? What happens when you come into a time of prosperity? What happens when you begin to get it all? You got the great house, you got the great car, you got the great clothes, you got the great job, you got the great income, you got the great friends, you got the great life. What happens if you don't know how God's prosperity takes you away from God? And so these two years in and around Mount Sinai were about instilling that and engraving that on the heart. And then they move up north from Mount Sinai to a little area called Kadesh Barnea. And it's from that spot that they send out these spies into the promised land. And these spies go throughout the land and they find out that it's this incredible place. They come back and say, we need to take this place. God's given us this place. At least two of them said that. And the other ten said, yeah, they're pretty strong, mighty warrior type people. I don't think we can do it. And what we have is the expression of unbelief. And we're back to our original question. Will people believe? Because at this point in time, they won't. And that unbelief leads them into another chapter of 40 years of wandering in a wilderness, having belief shaped into their heart. Now, just so you can get a little visual on that, because you're going to be reading through all this real quickly. Egypt is on the left side, the west side of the map, and they were in northern Egypt specifically. And so when they get delivered, they uh, leave out of Goshen and they come into the Sinai Peninsula and they travel south all the way down to Mount Sinai. That takes three months. Then they're in and around Peninsula for a couple of years. Then they make their way north up to Kadesh Barnea. And there they are for 40 days because the spies go in, check out Canaan for 40 days. They come back with the report. Two say, let's take the land. Ten say, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're mighty men of, uh, of battle and got these fortified cities, etc. And they won't believe God. And so God says, because of your unbelief, 
I'm going to do away with you. And I'm going to start all over. And Moses, you're the man. I'm going to start my covenant all over with you. And Moses, a man of great humility, a, great, a, God, a man of great deference to God, begins to pray on behalf of God's reputation. Listen, the Egyptians and everybody around here knows you brought these people out here. Let them see how great you are in your graciousness. Forgive them. And so God forgives the people, people, but he says, this generation will not enter the promised land. And now they're in a panic. They thought they were going to the promised land. Now they're not. And they're like, no, 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 we'll believe, we'll believe. Come on, let's go. And so that little three number that you see, they end up going up to fight a battle. And God says, don't do that. I'm not going with you. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to empower you. I'm not going to protect you. They don't believe him. (laughs) And they go on up there and they get whipped really good. Tuck the tails, turn around and come back with a few casualties. And they end up in that big loop that you see around the number four. Forty years. And all they're left with at that part, at that point, because they're not going to get in the promised land. Only the succeeding generation is going to get to experience the promises of God. All they're left with at that point is come to a point of belief and make sure I can hand it off to the next generation. Because they're the ones that get to experience the promises. Tough place to be. Eventually, they'll go up after 40 years on the east side of the Dead Sea and Jordan River. Then they'll cross over and begin to have the whole historical episodes called the conquest. And we'll be getting into that in the next few weeks. So, will a people believe God? And you have to ask this personally. Will you believe God? Notice all that God's been doing to develop and deepen belief. He sends these ten plagues against the Egyptians. What would it have been to see those things unfold? Then he miraculously takes them out of Egypt, parts the sea, and they go across as if dry ground over to the Sinai Peninsula. And then while they're out there wandering in this wilderness, they don't have anything to eat. And so he provides manna, a kind of bread for them. But then their stomachs ache for something more substantive like meat. So he causes quail just to fly in. And they begin to collect quail. And they get manna and quail every day. Oh, yeah, they don't have anything to drink. And he causes out of rocks water to come forth. And so he provides for them manna and quail and water. Then they get up to Kadesh Barnea. And he sends the spies out into Canaan. And they go into the Valley of Eshcol. And you know that story? You'll be reading about it. They come upon a vineyard where the grapes are so large that two men have a staff or a post between them. And they carry out one cluster of grapes between two men. It's just the picture of the bounty that's going to be a part of the promises of God in this land of God that he had promised them. Will you believe? Look what I've done. I've been at work, God would say, to develop and to deepen faith in you. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Well, did they believe? 
Let's read Numbers 14. In 13, the spies come back. They give their report about the land of Canaan. And Joshua and Caleb say in verse 30, Caleb quietens the people before Moses. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, the promised land he's talking about. For we are well able to overcome it. Of course, all the other spies are saying, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. He's like, we must do it. Pick it up in chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. Can you hear it? At this point, there's probably about 2 million Jews that make up this population. And they all began to cry. They all began to whine. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Oh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword. Our wives, our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Now, why would they do that? Because they know what this unbelief, the stinking unbelief is rising up to the nostrils of God and doing with God. So they fall on their faces and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, which was a sign of grief and mourning, heartbreak. And they said to all the congregation of Israel, the land which we passed through to spied out, is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And here's the verse you need underlined. And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. I will strike them with the pestilence and disherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And that's when Moses begins to plead on their behalf. Interesting phrase. Joshua and Caleb say to the people, Don't rebel against God. Our going against the inhabitants of this land is bread. For us. They got it. They got it that everything God was doing was about developing and deepening belief in them. 
So what that we look like grasshoppers in comparison to these mighty men of battle? God's in it. Have we not had episode after episode after episode that makes our status irrelevant and highlights the need for God? And the response to that holy declaration? Where's the rocks? Let's, let's stone those guys. Unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. And, of course, we're looking at all of this in a truncated little reading, and we go, how in the world? With the plagues, with the parting of the sea, with the provision of food in the, in the wilderness. How could they not believe? Well, I'll tell you how they couldn't believe, the same way you and I don't believe. What testing? What giants in the land? Has God placed in your life? I chose those words carefully. That God has placed in your life. How has God sought to develop and to deepen your faith? See, that singleness that just drives you crazy? God that marriage that you don't know you can persevere in? Those kids that have you pulling half the hair out of your head? The lack of kids that you can't agonizingly understand why you don't have? That godless boss or job environment? That health situation? Lack of finances? God, God, God at work. To develop, to deepen belief. Because, friends, the reality is this. Your belief, your engaging of God with faith is more important and more crucial than any circumstance in your life. Your circumstances pale in comparison to the importance of of belief and faith. Now, I know that's hard to grasp. You've got stuff like a neon flashing in your head right now. But what about this? What about this? What about this? Pales in comparison. Next to the importance of belief and faith. God, in His goodness, explains what He's up to with such scenarios. And you're not going to get this far this week, but just to give you a preview of coming attractions, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God will say, now listen, as we're, as we're looking back, let me give you a few lessons from history. Departure from Egypt. Movement through the wilderness. Surviving the snakes and scorpions. Water from the rock. Manna from heaven, quail blowing in with the uh, winds of the, of the desert, my leading you up to the promised land, everything that I have been at work 
in has been so that you might be humble. So that you might pass these tests, these trials, so that I can do good to you. He said, okay, well, what would the good be? You mean they finally get in the promised land? They finally have the land of milk and honey? They finally have bountiful crops and, and harvest and, and they're able to make a living and, and they have livestock and cattle and all? Is that, is that what it's all about? No. Do you need 40 years to learn how to be prosperous? Do you need 40 years to enjoy prosperity? No. It's all about working in us so that there is an intense, a deep, a lasting consciousness of our need for God. And so he tells them in Deuteronomy 8, that you've been through all of these experiences 40 years out in that wilderness. He's saying it to the next generation that's come into the promised land. All of that was to form belief and faith in you so that you would not lose it when you gain prosperity. When the times are good. How gracious. How loving. How good a God. So as we're talking about belief, what are we talking about? If it's this great thing, more important than any circumstance in life that we must have, here's what we need to grasp, friends, that belief is more than being convinced that God exists. The scriptures say, hey, the demons believe God exists. So what? It doesn't work for them in a saving, life-connecting, God-enjoying kind of way. Belief is being convinced. I need God more than breath. You ever get into those situations where you've actually had your breath removed? You had a fall and it knocked all the breath out of your lungs. Or you're in an oxygen-deprived situation. You got underwater too long. Whatever. You know how desperate? Air, 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 air. How desperate? Belief brings you to a point where you get it. I need God more than I need breath. That, in fact, God is life. It's not that he provides a life. He gives a good life. He has blessings and promises. He is life. So fast forwarding to the end of the book. Book of Revelation. And you have all these great descriptions of heaven. All these horrible descriptions of hell. People say, is that literal? Heaven's going to be like that? Hell's going to be like that? I've got absolutely no problem with heaven being literally or hell being literally as described in the book of Revelation. But here is what we have to remember. There are words being used at the end of the book 
to symbolically describe a reality that's indescribable. Words fail. Pictures fail to get the full grasp of the reality. Will heaven have streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl? If it does, fantastic. But the point is, heaven and having God is way more, infinitely more than streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. Is hell a lake of fire? Maybe. But what you've got to grasp is this. It's far worse than that. Far worse to not have God for all eternity. And Hebrews 6 tells us the only way that you, Hebrews 11:6 tells us the only way that you have God, the only way, the only way, the only way is belief. It's by faith. That's why it's such a big deal. So it kind of raises the question, what's going on in your life right now? What are the circumstances that you're dealing with? Because your circumstances are like a classroom. Are you in Wilderness 101? Got a lot of wandering around. There's a lot of questions. I don't get this. I don't get that. Why is it so hard? You know, how come I need the basics? I need a little bread. I need a little meat. I need a little water. You know, it's so hard. Or have you progressed on to Giants in the Land 201? Some really, really dangerous, life-threatening stuff out there. Or are you all the way up into that 401 class, Conquering the Land? We're going to be reading about that later. People die in that Conquering the Land thing. That's why they didn't want to go into that classroom. But for those who were getting it, for those who believed, they understood. There's some things more important than the preservation of this body. Like belief. Like God. God is not wasting any of your experiences. Everything counts toward what God is at work in you about. Everything counts. In what class are you? Abraham was in the class of a hundred-year-old man married to a ninety-year-old woman, and God says, "You're going to have a baby." How funny is that? But he believed, and God counted that belief toward him as righteousness. Moses is out on the backside of the Midian desert tending to flocks. A nomadic, powerless person in the middle of nowhere. And God says, I'm going to send you to the most powerful man on the planet. And you're going to tell him, God says, let my people go. (laughs) How funny is that? Most powerless man in the desert. Going to go to the most powerful man on the planet. But Moses believed. And he did it. Joshua and Caleb are amongst the spies that go in and look at, at Canaan. The ten go fortified walls, big cities, seasoned men of war. These guys kick people all over this region. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb. This is bread for us. We must do it. Our inabilities are irrelevant. The only thing relevant is that God said do it. And God saw that belief, 
counted it as righteousness to them. And they entered his promises. Everything God is doing is so that we might become humble through our testing. So he can do good in us in the developing of belief. What are you going to do about that? I know you believe he exists. But have you weighed the evidence, both in the scriptures and in life around you? And are you coming to a conclusion? You know, it really is all about God. It's not about me. And you're beginning to believe. Have you got that kind of belief? Will you experience your trials, your tests, as means by which God is developing belief in you? Now, that doesn't mean, you know, next time you're in your share group, you can't whine a little bit about your circumstance. But listen, that whining, mumbling stuff, it just kind of reminds us of those Hebrews, doesn't it? I whine sometimes. But then there are times where people that love me the most will say, shut up. Stop whining. God's doing something, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Will you convey belief to the next generation, to people that are coming behind you? Whatever age you are, people that are coming behind you, your high schooler, to junior high middle schoolers. You're a junior high middle schooler to elementary grade school people. To adults, to youth. Mature adults, to younger adults. Can they find it? Can they see it? Can they glean from the belief in your life? Let's pray. Father, what an important moment that we're in right now as you continue to work in and around us for belief. And for the friend right now that is taking a faith risk and beginning to believe you like he or she has never done, I pray you would meet them in that point of belief and deepen it, fortify it, grow it. Father, we pray that you give us insight into our circumstances so that we can see you're at work. You're at work. You're at work. Help us to pass these classes and to move on in the journey with you. And Lord, everything that you're showing us, everything that you're teaching us, help us to convey that to others that are coming behind us. In Jesus' name. Amen.